Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. To be honest, the op first opera that I saw was um, Percival by Wagner. And it was at the Royal Opera House in London. I think it was maybe 2010 or something, or maybe give or take two, two years. I can't remember the, the exact date, but I remember it was my first opera, and live opera. And um, I was wearing an African gelé, which is like a head tie, but quite shiny, <laughs> quite shiny, maybe a bit distracting. But I remember at the break, everybody was saying, what a lovely headgear, which was very nice. But then I realized that maybe people wearing this headgear, maybe African um, young people, w maybe didn't visit that particular um, opera house. So I just wanted to shake it up a little bit. Yeah. I really wanted to kind of opera democratized a little bit. I am Rose a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Caplancaya with the opera singer, composer and performance artist, Helen Epega. Nigerian and British, Helen explores the sounds of the hang instrument. She's harnessing different influences from avant-garde, psychedelic, tribal and meditative arts. Her talents have been called upon to create music for Christian Dior, Sony PlayStation and even movies. At harvest, she made a speech, but also she performed with a hung instrument in front of the guests gathered by the beach at night around a fire that we hear crackling. Hello, Ellen. Hello, Rose. <laughs> You made a beautiful music show yesterday for the Harvest crowd. Uh, you were with your hand by the fire. How much did you enjoy it? It was phenomenal, really, really beautiful. In fact, I couldn't sleep, you know, <laughs> you go to bed, you're so excited. It was um, such a wonderful experience. Yeah. How did you feel when you were singing? It was really nice, actually. I felt quite connected to the, the waves. You could really hear the pulse of the waves behind me and the roaring of the fire and the bright moon ahead. and. Um, and also people breathing. It was kind of, um, I felt really at peace. So it was a really beautiful, I felt very also, it was a, a primal experience, like what it is to be human. I imagine somebody could have been singing on that beach, under the moon, with the waves and the fire, a thousand years ago. You know, it was very human. Yes. Yeah. You made people sing with you, uh, clap, sing. It is important for you that people uh, interact with you? It is. It was really important that people interact with me because also to engage and bring people into the present, into the moment, because I love the idea that we have something, we shared something, and then it's gone and then we have another moment, and then it's gone. So it's really important for me to bring people in, and also because I'm singing in sometimes different languages, just for, for people to have the experience of singing something slightly different, but still feeling that we are at one. Let's talk about your uh, instrument. We'll talk about the language later, of course, and uh, because you brought your beautiful uh, musical instrument from London. Yes. So yeah. it's, uh, it's called a hang. Yes. Can you describe it for the listeners? <laughs> <laughs> so I always feel like it looks like a UFO, a flying saucer. Like yes. A, like a spaceship. Okay. Um, oh, so, uh, or a little turtle. Yes. Some yes. people also say like a tortoise shell. And um, for me, it looks quite um, a strong instrument, which it is. It's a metallic instrument. But when you play it, you play it gently and it sounds more like a harp. 
So I think it's um, an unusual sound, an unexpected sound for me. Um, I always love the vibrations that it creates when you're playing it. So it kind of draws you to be in the moment. Yes. Okay. Is it hard to play um, if you compare to a classical uh, instrument? Uh, how do you learn? I suppose it's not hard to play. It only has eight notes, which is great, but how you use those eight notes is really, <laughs> is really, really important. And I think um, mine is tuned to D minor, which, you know, is a, is, a, is a pentatonic scale, but that has limitations. But at the same time, because you play percussively, if you can feel the beat, get a rhythm, you'd normally will be fine. How much time did it take you to learn? I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning. Um, but I would say when I first got the instrument, I went to Switzerland and um, I was so excited, quit my job, got this instrument and I didn't know how to play. And I was not expecting that. I know it sounds really crazy, but I was not expecting Wait that. Wait a minute, I Ellen, you know. quit your job for the instrument or? <laughs> I think, yes, really. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What happened to you? I did. I I, I was in a job, and I said to my and I uh, went on holiday to Ibiza, and I saw this instrument, and somebody was playing it, and she said, "You'll never get one. They don't make it. They only make forty a year." And I think, hmm, I'll see about that. And I wrote to them lots of times, and they they selected me to come and pick up the instrument, and the waiting list was fifty thousand people in two thousand and eight. And so when I got this this email. I googled, you know, this, and there were many forums, people saying, you can't get the instrument, how do I get the instrument? I said, I've got to get it. So I said to my boss, I can't explain it, I've seen this drum, I don't know what it is, but I've got to get it. He said, no, because I'd just been on holiday. And so my mum said, quit your job. And that was it. <laughs> I mean, I knew I wanted to be a musician, so it was not the hardest call, but I remember I just got this instrument and had no job, and I was like, and I can't play it. You know, I wasn't, I really wasn't expecting that. I saw people on, you know, YouTube playing, da, 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 and I got it, and it was, wasn't how I thought it was. So for, it took about four, five days before I even made a decent sound. So you fell in love with this uh, instrument. Yeah. It's a love story. Yes, I love it. I really, really love it. It's been such a huge part of my life, my work, my volunteering. It's with my children. It's in the middle. Okay, are they allowed to touch it? Oh, yeah. Yes? Yeah, they've been playing and dri dribbling over it when they were, <laughs> when they were children, but um, they, they touch it. In fact, I'm probably more free with them than other people because I don't want them to be scared of any instrument. So they play this, they're exploring violin, they're exploring trumpet. I want them to, and I literally, I put different drums and the hunk in different parts of the house. So when they're going to school, they can just play. So I don't want it to be too precious for their lovely hands. Understand. Can you uh, make a little sound? So we... Sure. So this is a, it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven notes and a ding in the middle. So. I will show you the bottom part, which you can play actually, okay. like a dundun drum as well. That's so, beautiful. So there's a big kind of, I guess, hole in the middle of the spaceship-like instrument and then a little tiny hole on the side of it. So you, you can hit them at different times. So. so you can kind of get a different kind of drum 
vibe going as well. So um, that's really beautiful, and it sounds a bit like, um, or it resonates a bit like an ancestral um, instrument. But it's actually quite new. It's a really new instrument. They actually made it in 2020, and when they first, I saw the first prototype, and um, it made no sound. Well, no discernible kind of sound, and um, it looks beautiful. But um, then they had to go back to the drawing board, like how do we make something <laughs> that actually is nice that people want to buy. Then they, I think it took them another four years or so. So when I got this, it was 2008, and I understand that they stopped making them full stop soon after that. But yeah, they were inspired by a lot of African drums. And of course, the steel pans in the Caribbean, you know, the yes. pans, okay. and they brought them together. Wow. And if the listeners can listen to some other music when we're doing the podcast, that's the Fulani Beads. Of Helen, yes. <laughs> yes. So you have always these little sounds with you. That's yeah. your um, African beads. Yes, exactly. So um, the, my hairstyle is kind of braided at the moment. And um, at the end of my braids, I've got the beads. So it's just like a ode to the Fulani culture in the north of Nigeria. <laughs> Actually, a, quite a, um, a nomadic tribe. So, you, you know, they've traveled quite a lot around Africa. But yeah, a lot in north of Nigeria. Okay, they're beautiful. Thank you so much. So yesterday, you made your opera with Pigeon, uh, which is, um, we call it like a broken English. Exactly. Or simplified uh, English yes. spoken in, uh, in Africa, Western yeah. Africa. Yeah. Uh, what's your relationship with this uh, language? And it was an opera. Yes. So uh, we're going to talk about the pidgin and the opera. But the pidgin first, like what's, uh, how did you discover this language? Did you know it before? Or what's your relationship with this? Again, I'm still learning <laughs> the pidgin. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm Nigerian. I was born in Benin City, which um, is in Nigeria, not too far from, three hours from Lagos. And um, I don't speak the language, but I understand everything. And in Nigeria, there are 350 languages and dialects, and sometimes people cannot, you know, I found that people cannot communicate. This is really shocking. But um, Pidgin is a broken language, or like a very colloquial language that everybody speaks. And so for me, coming back to Nigeria after living in the UK and Ibiza for so long, I really wanted something to connect me with people and to connect people together because it was, seemed like such a beautiful culture, but in fact it was beautiful cultures in this one country of 200 million people. So I thought Pigeon was some way to celebrate everybody and not make um, any kind of hierarchical meaning to that celebration. And I thought opera because it just seemed such an opposing world that I thought it would start a dialogue and yeah. then people would feel celebrated. People that spoke Pigeon would feel celebrated. Do you like opera in general, the classic opera? Yeah, I, I do, but again, everything I'm kind of learning, I think I just jump in first and then I will, I will um, kind of learn afterwards, after the, after the feeling of wanting to start something. Yes, so you first ignite. have the feeling and yes. then uh, you dive into this. Jump in and then I think about it later on, I think whether I can do it, <laughs> whether I understand it. And then the process, for me, is exciting as an artist because I'm not doing something I know and then I'm sharing this knowledge necessarily. I am learning and as I'm learning, I'm sharing. Then I will learn more, and then I will share, share more, and then I will learn more. So for me, it's really exciting. It doesn't get boring. The opera is um, a lifelong journey for me. The more I, the more I explore opera, the more I will write about it. The more I will share. Do you have a so. favorite opera, or um, one that touches you? To be honest, the op first opera that I saw was Percival by Wagner, and it was at the Royal Opera House in London. I think it was maybe 2010 or something, or maybe give or take two, two years, I can't remember the, the exact date, but I remember it was my first opera, and live opera, and um, 
I was wearing an African gele, which is like a head tie, but quite shiny, <laughs> quite shiny, maybe a bit distracting. But I remember at the break, everybody was saying, what a lovely headgear, which was very nice. But then I realized that maybe people wearing this headgear, maybe African um, young people, maybe didn't visit that particular um, opera house. So I just wanted to shake it up a little bit. Yeah, I really wanted to kind of opera democratized a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. and you made it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Pitching, would you mind to uh, say some little sentence to me? Yes, Pitching? actually, there's something that I've kind of greet, we greet each other with in Nigeria, and I, I really love it because it's so simple. But I'll explain it afterwards. You know, you you come to somebody or you meet each other, you see each other on the on the on the street, and you you might say how body, and you say body day, which is how body. Um, translates to how are you, but yeah. really you're saying how is your body? Ah, how are fantastic. you and yourself? Okay. And okay. then the response is body day, which means my body is still here, which means everything is fine. And I just love the simplicity of it. It's not like this happened, that's like, are you still in existence? Yes. And then you resp I'm respond, alive. yes, uh, I'm alive, and that is good enough. And then that's everybody kind of smiles and you know goes on about their day. And it's such a simple way to greet each other. And I think it gets right to the point. Are you still in existence? Yes, I am. Have a good day. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> And here was Helen singing a pidgin opera. An opera she had decided to compose for a Nigerian audience, but not only. Helen will soon release her new musical work, Sounds of Us, exploring who and what the UK is right now. I asked her about her relationship with Africa, how often she gets there and how present it is in her life in London. I think um, being Nigerian is something that I've always kind of had in my heart. Even when we came to London, I, I felt like I was coming to London as a little Nigerian girl. And when I live in London, sometimes I just feel like a person. And then I think more recently, since I've been going back to Nigeria, maybe in the last 10 years, and I actually lived there for eight years, you know, visiting London and visiting Ibiza and things like that. But I lived there with my husband for eight years, and I've actually just only come back to London. So it's very much in my heart. And the reason I wanted to go back is I wanted to give back. And I just realized that there are so many capacities that, you know, that I could plug into as an artist, um, as a cultural leader, in Nigeria, small actions would make such a big difference. You could feel the changes rippling, and that's empowering to a person and to a woman as well. And um, at the time, uh, I don't want to say younger woman, but maybe younger in the mind with less experiences. Um, I went there, it was really scary, and I, you know, people, people will say, you know, it's dangerous, and it was not. It was such a beautiful experience, and I just reconnected with ancestors and learning cultural history, learning the culture of Nigeria, the music, the arts, the film. It's such a vibrant place, and for me, I just fell in love with it. And then since then, my whole family has been going back, even the elderly ones, because I'm showing them a different side of Nigeria, and also Nigeria has changed, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, so it's very present in my life. And I speak of it so fondly because because I, I see the beauty, and I really want to share the beauty element with everybody. Is your husband uh, Nigerian Yes, too? he is, actually. I found another Nigerian with me who's kind of left Nigeria at the same age, when he was seven as well, where he's a little bit older, and he's a smidgen older, but um, when he was seven. So we have kind of a mirroring background. 
Um, similar family setup. Family is important to us. Nigeria is important to us. Reconnecting Nigeria and um, raising our children to be proud of the culture. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, they're so so proud. They love it. They love the music. They love the dance. I think they know so many other things. You know, you know, cultural music. You know, music wise, to me, because they share it with their friends. And the beauty is that they have so many friends from different places around the world. And it's almost like every now and again we have like a dinner. And then the children share a song from where, where they're from, and my children always choose Nigerian songs, and sometimes my songs, which is really, really nice. So, what's the first instrument you've ever touched, and uh, how did you learn to play music? Was it like already in you, or did you have like a teacher, or someone? That's so interesting that you asked me this because um, I think the first reason, the first instrument I learned to, to play was maybe maybe a djembe or something like that, which was, again, my parents would leave things around the house. My dad is a doctor, but um, I think when he realized I wasn't going to be a doctor, he was like, do what you want to do. <laughs> do, what, do what he said, you will never make everybody happy, so make yourself happy, and you, you know, will make everybody happy that wise way. Wise man. Yeah, super wise man. But he himself wanted to be a guitarist, but I think his dad was like, mm, no, you'll be a doctor, and to his brother, you'll be a lawyer, and you know, you'll work in finance, so it was that situation. So he didn't want to repeat, repeat that. So he would always kind of buy me a textbook for school, and like a microphone. Or, you know, he would buy something educational and something playful, something musical. So he was always kind of winking at me, saying, follow your heart. And um, they've been to almost every one of my gigs, even when I travel. So it feels so amazing. And so you played the djembe first? Yeah, so I played and then the... then what's your musical journey? I think um, I, played, I played the djembe and learned just basic rhythms and things like that, polyrhythms, where you play one rhythm on top of another rhythm. And that's kind of a very um, African, West African way of playing drums so you you um, layer the levels of beats over each other so you just hear like a wall of sound drum that's my favorite thing to do and as a child it's like when people say go wild you know all me and my I have five siblings and all of us playing the drums and on Sundays we would do like performances for each other and my mum and dad so literally it was to learn to impress to impress the siblings because they will laugh at you <laughs> they will laugh at you at you if you didn't play very well so I, I'm actually self-taught So I, I, I had one or two guitar lessons and I played guitar a little bit and then I kind of taught myself. I think um, I take the fundamentals and then I, <laughs> then I teach, it to some, teach it to myself in a way that I can understand because my learning, what I've learned is it's not always linear. I can jump from the beginning to the end or the middle to the end or the middle to the beginning and just learning that about myself, um, I think it would be, drive a teacher crazy. If they were trying to teach teach somebody like me, yeah. And uh, I read that you have now famous clients, they're very uh, like a Jor, uh, like PlayStation or Disney. Yeah. How do they reach you? Yeah. How? Uh... Um, either from performances and people kind of reach out, or you know, online or something. Someone will hear a, a piece of music that I've performed, and somebody might be in the crowd and they say, "I have a friend," or "Do you want to be involved?" So a lot of it is making music for. Um, television or films and things like that. And I think um, what I'm loving about my journey at the moment is really creating music for film, which is a completely different experience where somebody has an idea and there's an emotion that they want to convey. So I have to connect with that idea and then also bring my own journey, whereas it is somebody else's story that I'm helping to tell. 
and I quite like that. It's quite it's a different experience for me, and it's a learning experience. So that's really exciting me in my practice. Something you might not do for Disney, but um, <laughs> do you do like transcendental? Do you put people in a trance yeah, mode? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Doing that so with sound journeys and things like that. A lot of the melodies that I that I play are repeat repetitive. So I, I'm hoping that people find a stability in certain rhythms and it can help them to meditate, which can kind of help them to either feel grounded or sometimes if what the need is, is to feel transported, then there's also that facility for that within the music. So I hope that I, I'm, I'm hoping when I'm creating that I'm building space for that as well. Like it's intentional, like for me, I think, does this make somebody feel something? Yes, I want to share this message, but will it reach this person if this facility is not there, if there is a space for them to think and to breathe, you know? Do you feel your audience? Do you know when they're like in a, another mode? Yeah, definitely. I think when it's a live audience, you can feel, feel the crowd, so to speak. And sometimes I've changed the set. Um, I've changed what I'm, you know, changed what I'm singing or even the tones, the tonality, the rhythm. If I feel that people, sometimes, you know, once or twice, people will feel so relaxed that they've actually fallen asleep. Then I will say, you know, well, changing the set, everybody lie down, you know, and just to have that, yeah, just to have the freedom is kind of like, okay, what do you need? Like, I feel like I'm, a I'm sharing a message and I have a need from the audience, which is for them to listen. And what, and what I can give to them is also to try to respond to their need, which is for me to listen to as well, listen as well. And if listening to my music means you feel so relaxed that you fall asleep, then I feel blessed that I facilitated that, <laughs> that I've given so you that peace. So you're not offended? Piece. You're no, not offended? No, no it's, not, it's not like people are tuning out, but people, I can feel the, you can feel the vibe when people are, 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 um, have found some space that they've clearly needed. So I will facilitate that when I've picked it up from the audience. In Harvest, Helen made a beautiful talk, making people sing, and she shared her experience when she moved to East London with her family. my family and I moved to London, East London, in England, and carried on Family Sundays. Reflecting on this time, I want to be quite honest. That time in East London for me, to my young eyes, was very unwelcoming. It seemed like a hostile place, and I felt like the other. Not a kind place to be. But in my child heart, I knew this was not the real heart of the children in the playground. Over the next few months, weeks, seasons, I sang and I danced into their hearts. And they too sang and danced into mine. And some of us are still really great friends now. And why do I share this story with you? What is the point? Why am I giving you this life story? <laughs> We're supposed to be bridging the middle and here she is talking about herself because that experience, even as a young age, was so profound so life-changing that it carries me and has carried me for the rest of my life. How do you use your experience to build speeches like the one 
your giving at Harvest. The topic of my talk um, for me is an exciting one. It's something that's really close to my heart and it's about how I use my, my arts, uh, music, um, painting, in my practice to engage different audiences from different cultures around the world to have this open dialogue, dialogue about, about peace. So how do you make that? I literally perform and I do Q&As and with the you know, questions and answer sessions, I also run workshops that we, you know, that we talk about what was explored, the themes in the performance, the themes in the music, the themes in the song, and invite communities to share how they feel that it relates to, to their lives. And literally when people share, they exchange ideas, they feel connected with people from different cultures because sometimes there isn't a safe space to do that, and especially at a time like this, there's so many conflicts in the world, and now a conflict on the doorstep of Europe, which has really shaken the core for everybody. And I think now more than ever, the need for me and other, you know, artists and you know, cultural leaders to create these spaces where people can share ideas is really important. You have a message, Ellen. You want to share here in Harvest? What is it? I really want to, there's one takeaway that people kind of explore is how we can use music and expressive arts, you know, arts which allow us to express ourselves, to share our cultures. I believe that when people talk, have open dialogue, there's less violence, less violence, hopefully less wars. It's a more kind of cohesive society. So I really do believe that music can end wars and I believe that in my heart and I think that's kind of what keeps me going. And sharing messages. Music creates an open space of dialogue. You don't even always need languages. That's why I love singing in pidgin. And people that don't understand English or Nigerian or pidgin can still understand the heart and the emotion of the music. So for me, music and other expressive arts create a space for people to be open. Once people are open, there's possibility of exchange. Exchange means knowing each other, coming to like each other, coming to love each other. When there's love, there's no violence. So that's pretty, that's pretty much at the heart. Beautiful. And, and uh, when you were talking about the doing actions in Nigeria, were you talking about this or are you talking Europe? Yeah, I mean, we've toured the opera in London and in Lagos and in Cape Town as well. And the dream is to tour it around the world. Um, just really sharing also, not just with Pigeon, but with other colloquial dialects. So in London, there's a bit of the Cockney dialect, which is it's kind of East London slang, London slang. And you like it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> it's brilliant. I love it. Okay. I love I love languages that bring people together, that get to the point. Sometimes when you um, try to speak language in a particular way, and I say this in um, quotes, you know, educated, you know, and people kind of will look down at more colloquial dialects, but I think sometimes the colloquial dialects get to the point more, less flowery words, like how body, body day. <laughs> how was it? No, you know, how are you in your heart, in your spirit, and just getting to that. But, um, yeah. It's uh, time, Ellen, for the harvest of the day. If something could be changed in the world, uh, something easy, not too complicated, and that would make the world a better place, uh, what would it be for you? I think um, we, you know, for me, to focus a lot on the younger ones as well, so maybe school and education. Um, and I think if there could be more of a, a focus on expressive art, well-being, teaching children what it is to express yourself in a you know in an open way then they will grow up having this um, 
open dialogue with their friends and their eventually colleagues and you know people they work with people they engage with in the world and I think um, we often don't learn how to e express ourselves in a way that is open and we hide things so um, if we can express ourselves and um, teach children what it feels to be happy you know what it is to feel joy what it is to feel sadness and how to create that joy in your life which I guess is well-being yeah to teach children that and to be honest I learn a lot from my children so if you teach the children, you probably teach the family. I hope you enjoyed this episode and Helen Epega's approach to music and a musical journey that started in Nigeria with Hola Siblings. If you did, please leave us a good review and follow us on Instagram Harvest Series. The next episode will be in two weeks with Prashant Goel, He is a leadership advisor using his knowledge in global wisdom traditions, neuroscience, trauma-informed approaches, depth, psychology, and shamanism to improve the management. Until next time. <laughs>